0: Hey, this is Jared from Compliments of Gus, and you are listening to Frequency. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency.fm podcast. Welcome back, and we're happy you're still with us. And Joe, how are you? I'm great.
1: It's almost summer here after the deluge yesterday. It's a blue sky here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, you are back from the blue skies and uh, from Jamaica, yeah?
0: Yeah, man. We just came back from Jamaica. It was mid 30s and humidity there when we took off from Halifax or Halifax. I wasn't in Halifax when we took off from Moncton, uh, oh, New Brunswick. Because I know
1: the difference between those two. <laughs>
0: If you're from Canada you're like, "Dude, what are you talking about?" Yeah. That's like 4 hours away, but we left Moncton and they had to de-ice the plane. Oh, wow. And then when we arrived there it was 35 and humid. We had rain every day, but it was it was beautiful weather. But we were there to work and to to serve, so we weren't exactly going to Sandals Resort. But then when we got back, we left the 35 degree weather and it was 5 degrees, which is like 40s for you.
1: I always try to translate that in my head and it doesn't I'm just you have to do that cuz cuz you're in Canada and therefore you you have to translate for the Americans you know the, the, the right. folks down here in the the US but so when you say it's the 30s i go man that's frigid for jamaica
0: well yes yeah, Not picture, really. you know, like an NFL game with snow on the ground. That was Jamaica? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> Honestly, it was a good trip, though. It was a missions trip. And I don't mean in a cheesy way. I mean, you know, like you just package a bunch of kids up and chuck them into a, a different country. We have a connection to churches down there, connection to schools, a deaf school, a place for um, handicapped kids. And we spent 10 days serving and, you know, doing stuff with them, basically playing with kids, singing 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 them songs, teaching them about the Bible and, you know, doing bubbles and just simple things they don't have down there, like playing with bubbles or or just simple balls and stuff. A lot of these kids are on their own a lot of the time. So, yeah, it was a good trip and we're back, but I'm still in a bit of a fog because we're going from poverty to plenty, as I call it here in Canada. It's hard to get back into the the mindset of three meals a day instead of one and being able to pick anything you want in a grocery store because they're good with beans and rice. So just a lot of little things, you know, churches that have a little keyboard. They don't have pianos and keyboards and monitoring systems and stuff. They just yeah. have a guy with a microphone. But they still love the Lord, and they still, you know, work really hard. You know, I think you
1: forget uh, how little you truly need and how God really does provide everything. No offense. I know you're not a man of means, Dan. <laughs> and uh, But you can come back and go, Wow. God's been very good.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you were able to pay rent in a month or a mortgage, you're you're way ahead of ninety percent of the world. Yeah. The average house down there is cinder block, concrete with an unfinished roof and maybe some metal covering it to block the rain, but no windows, no doors. They have doors, but a lot of times they're they're metal bars. They use rebar and they shape they shape them. So they have some level of security but they don't They don't have, like, a door with a lock on it. Um, Everyone stands out on the street and just basically waves at you when you go by. Everyone honks a horn there. A horn there means, hey, I'm coming, not, hey,
1: you jerk. Right, right. It's, It's being used the way that it's supposed to be used.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be because everyone walks on the side of the road and, and it's a British colony. Like everything is on the left hand side. They, they drive on the wrong, wrong side of the road as we call it in Canada, which is ironic since we're a British colony too. It was really weird, but it was a blessing at the same time. He met some awesome people and very humble people and, uh, they just, they loved having us there. And the cool thing is we're, we're connected there often. So we stay up to date with them. It's not like a one time deal.
1: And actually, that reminds me, for the folks who listen to our, uh, I think it's episode 16 with Claire Diaz-Ortiz, mm-hmm. she's talking in her book, I don't think we mentioned it in the interview, but in the book she talks a lot about how the orphans just get used to the white people, as they refer to us, showing up, being there for a week, and then going away, and just not being used to people, sticking around and maintaining a relationship, and so that's an anomaly. So if you've established a relationship with these folks Then you are more than just a flyby. Here's some food. Here's, you know, here's a hug or two. See you Mm -hmm. later. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Every two years we go with grade 11 and 12 students and for the school and we send a work team on the off year and we send money and resources throughout the year. So we have a, a relationship with them and email and Facebook and everything. They are connected there. It's just everyone has a cell phone, but people don't have computers in their homes. They, they don't really have power a lot of the time so unless they they go to a place that has it
1: well in in a purely from a purely selfish perspective um i found myself getting back on track with the podcast i found myself <laughs> about 15 times a day going oh dan would appreciate this but i can't tell him because he has no connectivity <laughs> and it was a uh, if you if anybody was following my tweets there were these just lonesome little dan's not here things <laughs> going on it was Uh, There weren't too many of those, but there were, I had to, I had to restrain myself from throwing a little, uh, all by myself pity party, you
0: know. (laughs) That's when you realize that you talk to somebody so much that when, it's, when you're they're not there, you notice it. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I did notice the tweets. I think I even clicked a uh, favorite on one of them.
1: I think you did, too. That having been said, uh, this is episode 19, and this will be, I think, since we're still in May, this will actually be our fourth episode of May. Despite the fact that you haven't been around, we've mm-hmm. knocked out quite a few uh, episodes because we recorded a few earlier, plus we've been really moving ahead on Wise Words, but now we're at episode 19, and we're featuring uh, Jessica Campbell, who we talked about a couple episodes ago. So uh, we've pretty much already queued you up on Jessica. I don't think we need to say anything about her, do we?
2: Yeah,
0: it's it's funny how how all the podcast stats and Twitter feed and everything blew up when I was away. I mean, I got to be away more often.
1: Well, okay. uh, I, I do want to acknowledge the irony in some of those. W- one of our most popular posts over the past month has been an audio review for, uh, for Hillsong uh, Young and uh, and young, young and I was to say feisty. I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. Young and feisty. Anyway. <laughs> <It was> um, <laughs> hillsong young and young and free and uh, we we couldn't figure out why it was so popular and yes. uh and then we finally dug it up and apparently ironically somebody has linked to it as part of a pirate download of the album so people who download the album and they're stealing it because and that's what we're about here at frequency is you know <laughs> steal from
0: artists don't yeah. worry about it especially christian artists Let's, yeah they should work for free anyway yeah, was it MP3 Skull or something like that? Yeah, look at uh, it. We'll link to it after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, somehow it's either crawled to our our podcast feed or somebody uploaded it or something. But yeah, it's found the name because our podcast has their album name in it or, or the the review. But I mean that's fine. I mean it's out there. It's we're we're talking about them, so it's more promo promo for them. They're not losing anything. But it, it is weird when you're finding that. out.
1: Well, this having been said, let's get back on target. So, uh, Jessica Campbell. Jessica is a, an indie uh, folk pop artist out of Nashville, and uh, I connected with her via our mutual friend, Krista Wells, so continuing that theme. And uh, as I uh, mentioned a couple of episodes ago, she swung through town with Sarah Beth Goh, another artist, and they actually stayed at my house, and um, I helped organize a, a little concert at a local church that was fantastic. Just great voices, great people, just fun to hang around. And blasphemy of blasphemies. Afterward, we all went out and had beer and pizza. So much fun <laughs> by all. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Jessica and, and her music. I was already a fan having listened to it and then getting to meet her and uh, knowing more about her, became an even bigger fan. So.
0: And she's in the indie artist camp, which I know can be broad at times. But when we say indie artist, we don't mean some person randomly in their basement with, with garage band and a microphone, right? I mean, decent quality music being produced well.
1: That's correct. And actually, we get into that in the interview. Uh, we talk a little bit about the difference between what is a professional indie artist versus somebody knocking something out in their garage. So it's a, some good discussion there, especially if you are interested in that machine that is uh, the Nashville music scene.
0: Yeah, and, and you can like how how do they delineate themselves because there's so much going on in nashville all the time everybody who's a waitress or whatever a barista or works in a coffee shop in nashville is an artist
1: let's learn more about that by listening to the episode (laughs) there you go Hi, this is Joe from Frequency. It's uh, time for our interview, and we're happy to invite to join us today the lovely Jessica Campbell, singer-songwriter out of the Nashville area, independent artist and plier of all things wonderful. So welcome to the show, Jessica.
3: Thanks, Joe. Great to be here with you.
1: Many of our listeners may not be familiar or some maybe most of them are familiar with you but for those who aren't familiar with you could you tell us a little bit about who you are where you're from what you do
3: Sure yeah well I am I'm from North Carolina I grew up in a teeny tiny town called Catawba and I've been in Nashville for a little over 10 years and I'm a singer songwriter um I pursue songwriting about 60 percent of the time and i pursue artistry and performing about 60 percent of the time and then that's 120 percent.
1: yeah i was gonna say wait a minute that didn't that didn't add up right
3: <laughs> um and so yeah so i've been doing this um full time for several years now as an independent artist and um yeah living the dream
1: living the dream so how so how many years have you been working as a as an artist then?
3: Um, I would say like work actually like working as an artist doing my own music um, since 2008.
1: Okay and, and what were you doing if you don't mind me asking, what were you doing prior to that? How are you uh, How are you paying the bills?
3: Um, name it. I worked about every part-time job possible. I sold cookware. I was a barista at Starbucks. I was a singer in a, um, a show at Dollywood which is Tennessee's largest theme park. Um I clean houses, I sang, I sing at churches. I, I've always stayed connected to the church. That's something I grew up. Um, that's, that's where I learned how to sing and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I have, um, I've done it all in the part-time job world, and it was worth every bit of work to kind of slowly inch my way to becoming a full-time artist.
1: Well, what, about what time did you find yourself in Nashville then?
3: So I moved to Nashville um, to live here and pursue everything in 2006.
1: Okay, so you've been there for eight years now.
3: Yeah, I've been here for eight years and I actually went to college um, a few towns over in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, Middle Tennessee State University. So I was, I was there. I was in the vicinity for six years before I moved um, into the city.
1: So did you decide to move to Nashville to pursue music or was there some other reason you were heading that direction?
3: No, definitely to pursue music. Yeah. That was my one purpose.
1: Now I've I've talked to a few artists who've made the move to Nashville and then became quickly disenchanted, um, worked for a few years and then, and then left, but you've, you've seemed to to have been there and and seem to at least on the, from the outside to be thriving.
3: I actually have friends who have moved here and and stayed for a year or two and just figured out that maybe that's not exactly what they wanted to do you know and I think that happens every day here like so many people move to Nashville for music and then a lot of people you know go back home or you know find another way to um, to do music other than being in kind of the rat race here and um, but yeah I think you know I had a lot of friends here and in school I studied the music industry so I knew a lot about it and I've always been kind of independent and like nothing about the rat race or the, the challenge or the, you know, constant rejection ever kind of wearied me. So,
1: so you, you went in kind of already having some pretty good perspective on what you were in for.
3: Yeah, I did. Which makes you probably go, why would you do (laughs) that?
1: Well, no, I mean, I think it's better to go in with your eyes wide open than people who have these, um, these visions of, uh, you know, writing the song and all of a sudden the, they have the world's adulation and money is uh-huh. pouring in. I, my assumption is that's a uh, that's a naivete that comes with a lot of people who moved to Nashville.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of hard work. And I think anybody here that's been in the business for a while will tell you that it doesn't matter, you know, how many hit songs you've had or whatever, it's an everyday process. And, you know, we hear that all the time from people who you know we think have made it big and who have been really successful and they just say you know one day at a time and every day working hard is the key so
2: yeah it
1: seems like a work ethic is a common a common thread with the artists that i've talked to who are actually making a living is it's less glamour and more work ethic
3: yeah and you know it's a it's not a career for people who aren't self-starters and i'm self-motivated and all those kind of things because in the entrepreneurial world as you know you you know you kind of have to dream up things and try to figure out how you can make them happen. You know,
1: well, let me ask a question that I'm sure um, you've heard 6,800 times and probably in the last week, but I have to ask it because maybe if we can get it out to enough people, it'll stop being asked. So my (laughs) wife really likes this show called Nashville and yeah. And um, I just want to understand how much of that represents your experience in Nashville you know, how many, um, affairs should we count as well as illegitimate children?
3: <laughs> well, it's funny because I try to compare it this way. Like Nashville is to the real music industry as Grey's Anatomy is to a real nurse. And, you know, a lot of it is dramatized. Like it's a little over the top, but some of it's true. And some of it's like derivative of an actual story or a possible scenario in the music business. So yeah, I think for people outside of the music business, it's kind of a good way to become a little familiar with it. But, I mean, of course, it's television, so things are kind of taken to the next level. But, yeah, I mean, it's fun for us to watch. The The show is recorded in a lot of the publishing houses that we write in and, uh, and stuff like that. So it's just kind of neat to see how they frame everything.
1: Is there some jockeying to see if you can get your songs uh, that you've written on the show Is as that next hit song that they're, you know, promoting on the show?
3: Um, I'm pretty sure that every songwriter or anyone in Nashville who has a song has submitted to the show. I yeah. actually can't imagine how many thousands of songs they've they've had to dig through. But yes, I have submitted lots and lots of songs to them to no avail at this point.
1: <laughs> That's right. It, it's coming. It's coming.
2: So I always took it when you pointed the blame Like every problem you had
1: About independent artists, and you are an independent artist. Mm-hmm. It appears to me that there's folks that that operate, that folks operate on a couple different levels as independent artists. I get I get music that's sent to me from what I'll call amateur in, independent artists, folks mm-hmm. you know living in you know someplace in Texas and recording on their computer and then submitting an album that they right. created and mastered in their garage, um, and then. There's folks like you and um, uh, Ellie Holcomb, who we re- uh, recently interviewed, and Krista yeah. Wells that are creating professional level, professional quality music. So I'm wondering, do you view that there's a couple levels? Am I missing a level in there in terms of independent music? Um,
3: I think there's all kinds of levels, which which kind of creates a challenge for, every, for everybody in independent music. You know, there's a lot of stuff to dig through out there in the independent world and that's why some people aren't as attracted to it. You know, there aren't as many, obviously there aren't as many decision makers in the independent world, so anybody can put out anything at any time. And so um, that can, you know, crowd the streets a little bit for artists who are professional and for, you, know, you can imagine like booking agents, they get emails from all types of independent artists and they're also dealing with booking agents that are representing, you um, you know, bigger artists as well. So it can really, um, like I said, like kind of crowd the streets for all artists. So, you know, the thing for me has been I've surrounded myself with people who are knowledgeable and who have a heart for independent artists and who are able to just like come alongside me and say, hey, I can help you with, This one part of your next album release or, you know, hey, I've got wisdom in social media and I can definitely help you execute that well. You know, independent is, yeah, it is that I'm not with a label, but, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are able to assist me and, you know, take any kind of um, placement or, you know, any kind of promotion that one of my songs is a part of and make the most of it. So, um, so yeah, it is challenging because there are a lot of levels to the to the independent world.
1: Maybe you could give me an example of something that you do as a, an independent artist to differentiate yourself from that huge pool of everybody else who carries that
2: label.
3: well I think one challenge for that I've learned um, you know that kind of all independent artists deal with is how to finance your project and for my first two projects I I definitely see the value in hiring someone that a producer that's able to really truly be a visionary for your music and so a lot of us will hire a great producer and we will have a great product and then we won't have any money left over to do marketing and and you know PR and um, any kind of radio promotion, and I find that that's where a lot of independent artists land is they have a great project in hand, but they don't have money to really pr- you know further that. And so you know I still of course value um, a great producer, and that's why I've been with um, Case and Cooley for the past the past few projects because I really think he you know takes my work tapes and my songs that are in the most stripped down form possible and he has a vision for what they could be in the fully recorded form you know and this last time I recorded an album I actually did a pledge music campaign and so I was able to raise enough money to take that extra step and hire a publicist and have someone write a proper bio for me and you know do these things that are just so hard for one person to do and execute well by themselves so yeah I mean you know I think it all comes back to the music if people connect with the song then that's where it all kind of starts and that's how you gain fans and so you know I really think like uh, looking over and analyzing and working as hard as you can on the songs from their you know from their creation is I think one of the most important things Um, if you have a great song then that matters more than any of the other stuff. So your
1: foundation is really on your artistry, but you can't just foist your art out there and think that it's going to take on a life of its own.
3: Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the music that you hear on these huge TV shows and advertisements, you know, and when you're shopping at Whole Foods, you know, a lot of that music, the majority, I would say, over 90% of that music, you know, has been represented in some way. It just doesn't kind of wind up there. There's a lot of machines in place. Um you know, that are out there to promote music. And so, uh, so I think that's really important.
1: That's interesting. I, as I was looking at your website, I saw that your uh, latest album, The Anchor and the Sail, there are songs from that. I think Gone is one of them. Wait, was that on that album? No, yes. I've, okay, because I listened <laughs> to the album before that, and there are songs in both that um, I get caught up in. But uh, <laughs> Thank you. But I see, you know, uh, USA Today had you featured, um, your, your songs have been featured, I guess, on the CW, and um, mm-hmm. you've had some other notable placements. Uh, yeah. So maybe you could just talk to us about how does that placement occur? You've already alluded to that. Yeah. And then maybe after you tell me that, then tell me what's the significance of that from a career standpoint that that you do get that placement.
3: Okay. I'll start with what you first mentioned. So the USA Today placement, or, or, well, it was actually, you know, the the music editor selects a playlist. And, you know, I, but the machine behind that for me was my publicist who I'd hired out of New Jersey. And, you know, she puts a lot of, she plants a lot of seeds, and then some take and some don't. And so, she sent this album, my latest album, to the music editor at USA Today, and she happened to love the song Gone. And so, you know, a lot of things are in your control, and then there are things that aren't. And so she could have maybe gravitated toward another song or or just passed on the album, you know. So, um, so yeah, so my publicist was able to help me with that. And then um, the CW placement was uh, – aided by uh, a music plugger, song plugger. So um, uh, I have, I'm signed with someone who acts as a middleman between me and my music and music supervisors who are out there looking for music for their TV shows and their advertisements and films and things. So, um, you know, I have someone that's advocating my music to TV shows and music supervisors and all that kind of stuff. And so that's how that happened.
1: From a career standpoint? What what does that really represent?
3: You know, in all the things that I do, from booking shows to interviews to um, writing and recording more music, and you know, of course, trying to pay for all those things. All of the the, the USA Today placement and the CW placement, those just kind of, I guess, give me more fuel. They expose my music to more people, um, which usually leads to either more Spotify plays or more iTunes plays or more you know, more searches on YouTube for my name. Um, And then I also get a little bit of royalty money from those from um, I'm signed with BMI. So, you know, it's just a lot of little things that kind of just help you grow and move along. And, you know, back to what we were talking about, kind of those kind of things also help give validation to being an independent artist. They kind of differentiate you from the other levels that we were talking about of being an independent artist. So all those things, you know, like I said, like the streets are crowded with independent artists and with people kind of all doing their own thing. And so if, um, you know, say a booking agent opens up an email from me and he sees that his probably first question in his mind is, is she good? Like, is she she legit? Because in the independent world, there are, like you mentioned, a lot of people who are maybe first-timers or they recorded their album and, you know their bedroom or something um, which side note there have been a, a lot of great albums recorded in bedrooms but that was in
1: cash did some great
2: work
3: yeah i mean that would be the exception for yeah. sure and so then he's like oh let's click through to the website and then he sees things he's familiar with usa today crate and barrel right. you know things right. like that and then that kind of helps you know, further me along in the validation process of the mind of a booking agent. Doesn't this all seem so just crazy? But it actually does help further along the steps to grow and expose my music to more music to more people.
1: Let's let's talk a little bit about your album because the latest album you had, I believe, came out the end of April last year. Is that right? Yes, yes. And that's the anchor in the sale. That happens to be the most recent album you've released, but um, still one. I was introduced to about three months ago and really enjoyed and I want to share with folks the first thing I want to comment is as I was mowing my lawn and listening to the album (laughs) I had this thought about how personal some of the songs sound and uh, I had this initial thought that either Jessica Campbell as a person is is somebody who's experienced a lot of heartache or is a very unhappy single (laughs) person But uh I know you're happily married. Um yes. but but I wanted to ask uh the songs on this album are they are they born out of personal experience or are you just uh, really good at channeling that vibe?
2: Uh
3: yeah, no, I, all of them are born out of some kind of personal experience. You know, I really don't put out don't put songs on like I don't put out songs that I really am not connected with in some way. So yeah, I mean a lot of people ask about the song Gone which you mentioned earlier and You know, actually, when we wrote that song, that was coming from less of a, like, love-lover type relationship and more of an all-inclusive possible parental relationship or friendship. Or, you know, some other, like, you know, we're surrounded by, in our life, relationships come and go all the time. Yeah. And so um, we wanted to keep it a little more open-ended because I was pulling from different situations in my life and experiences, as well as my co-writer, uh, Raquel Cole is her name, and she's a Canadian artist. But yeah, I've actually, with that particular song, you know, I spent a lot of time rewriting that song. It just wasn't, it didn't quite sit right with me on our you know first draft and so I really tried to make it my own and um, you know I felt like the language in that song is very honest and it seems to have connected with a lot of people which is just thrilling for me as a songwriter so
1: When you're rewriting a song are you focusing more on the lyrics or are you going back and, and working melody and and uh, accompaniment?
3: From my experience I work a little more on the lyric um, but there are the occasional times where I found it in my experience, the bridge always needs a rewrite for some reason. So I've rewritten a lot of bridges and you know, a lot of that's melodic and stuff. Um, but yeah, this for this song, it was all lyric.
1: Well, let me ask, uh, the title song is one that, well, I'm sure you chose it as the title song for a reason, but it's one that I, I really appreciated. I love the perspective of the song being about, uh, hey, maybe I'm the one who's messed up and not you. <laughs> um, when it comes to relationship. Um, is, there a, is there a story behind that that you're uh, willing to share?
3: Um, you know, actually not not really for that song. Um, that song does have a story behind it. You know, when we I sat down with my friend Reese to write that song, it's been several years ago, I had the title and you know sometimes we as songwriters when we get in a room to co-write, we'll try to really spend time on what's the best Um, angle for this song and so you know we just felt like as far as the songs that we know and love you know how can we approach this title with a different perspective and Mm. so that's where we started our song from
1: okay so that's one that's not necessarily a personal experience song it's a we got this title what's the best way to frame it and tell a story with it
3: exactly and you know the title the title of the song means a lot more to me than there are a lot of things that I think about when I think about that title the way that we um, took the angle on the song is I love it I think it's you know it was a really great fun song to write and I appreciate that perspective on it and I feel like a lot of people connect with that I actually I connect with it Um but the song um, was written as actually but Ruth and I were both about to get married this was in 2011 and um, somehow in the hustle and bustle of publishing deal and you know creating all these you know lists of songs and you know have a file of all the mp3s of songs I've written which is just you know so hard to keep up with everything and um, this song somehow fell through the cracks and as I was trying to just make a list of songs that I wanted to listen through for my new album, I found in an old email the title of the song, but I didn't actually have the mp3 attached. So I had my friend Ruth. She still had it, thank God. She sent it to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this song. How in the world could I have forgot about it, you know? And then it was perfect for the album and, you know, the title. And you know the title the, the anchor in the sail means a lot to me as I feel like throughout life we journey in this um, holding on to things and letting go of things and so um, it represents a little bit more than the actual song lyric for me and also side note my husband um, took me on a sailboat for the first time and um, so that was kind of another you know just kind of thing that I loved about the title was the sailing part of it so <laughs>
1: that's all you've got a you've got a positive connection that you can reference <laughs> yeah, uh, as exactly. well
3: yeah
1: it's a standout song it's actually the first song that i played for my wife off the album because i'm like hey i want you to hear this and yeah. that which what she remarked is finally a song that says um it's not you that screwed up it's me and i appreciate
2: that so <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Ask you about another song on the album and the reason I'm asking about this it, first of all I like the song but second of all you wrote it with one of uh, one of my favorite people Michael Farron yes so it's called my patchwork heart so first question is how is it to work with Michael and I want you to be honest I'm gonna make sure he doesn't
2: well
3: I'm writing with him tomorrow so I better not slam him or he, <laughs> he might he might cancel on me no he won't um, get
1: this that soon it's I'm not yeah. that fast
3: <laughs> that's, that's, he is so fun and you know, the first few times I, I wrote with him, we just have, obviously he's from Texas, but we have such a similar background. He grew up listening to Southern Gospel, and church was a huge part of the music of his childhood, and the same for me. And he's just a blast. He's so fun to be around. He's a coffee lover, which, as I mentioned before, I was a barista for three years, so... Um, I, my my taste buds for coffee has evolved and yeah he's just a delight to work with he is really all about you know making the best getting getting it right so if that takes time and if that take multiple writing sessions then that's what we do and so i appreciate how he values lyrics and making sure everything is what we feel like is right so yeah he's he's so fun
1: cool second now the song my patchwork heart so this is one you wrote with michael uh, tell me about how that song came about. I already know the answer, but I want you to share it anyway.
3: Well, I had this idea. I had this song idea, the title, My Patchwork Heart. And, you know, I was like, I bet this would be a great one to write with Michael. And so I held on to it for a little bit until we had another writing appointment scheduled. And so I walk in the room and we wrote at Word that day. And I was like, hey, I've got... I've got what we're going to write today. And usually it's usually the way it works is you go, Hey, you know, what's your idea? You know, what are you thinking? What do you feel like? But I was more like, Hey, here's what we're going to do. You know? So when I first threw out the title that, that I love so much to him, he just kind of didn't respond. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? What, what, you know? (laughs) And he was like, you know, I just don't, I don't know much about quilting. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, back. Wait, wait, wait. Please don't, don't, don't turn it down yet. But yeah. So after I explained myself and the whole premise for the song, then he got on board. Which is like, hey, we've all been broken. We've all been in places where we've needed friends and needed to be loved. And it's basically a song about people and be, being loved to those times where, you know, you you have to be loved for who you are. Otherwise, you would just kind of be shattered, which I've been there. So, so yeah, he totally got on board and it's a really fun song. So
1: it's got a great hook at the beginning that will get stuck in your head forever.
3: You know, I think one thing, uh, just in kind of the songwriting process, you know, there was a lot of energy that day behind and uh, like a lot of energy and kind of excitement behind our work tape that we made that day. And Michael was playing, um, the keys and, you know, that transpired into our song choice for my album because that one just stood out because we had a great work tape. So just kind of side note, a lot of times people think the work tapes don't matter or, you know, but they really, they really do. So
1: Tell folks what a work tape is in case they have no idea.
3: Okay, yeah. A work tape is kind of a first run at a new, I mean, it doesn't have to be a newly written song, but in my experience, it's usually like, Here's our first go at it, you know. And then, you know, after that, if you if you still are liking the song and wanting to take it a next step, then you have the song demoed where you actually have, you know, people come in and and record it um, in a better fashion. And then the next step from that is, you know, making a master recording for an album release or something like that.
2: And anybody else would have thrown it all away but you saw something no one else could see It's always been a work of art You never had a doubt what it could be Somehow you made something beautiful out of my
1: passenger car A little bit about background as a Christian that, you know, when you moved to Nashville and you were looking to pursue your career uh, in music, how did you d- decide what route you wanted to go in terms of what music you were going to write, what music you're going to perform? Why, uh, why not head down the Christian road? And I'm not judging you on this. I'm just curious yeah. versus going more secular.
3: Well I think that's a great question. it's you know it's valid. There are a lot of us that are doing music that um, are Christians and may or may not be pursuing the Christian industry per se. Um, I grew up in a small um, Southern Baptist Church and you know my my family was super involved at the church. We were there every time the doors were open and I loved every second my best friends were there. It was really like, where we were the majority of the time, and it was a blast. And so I learned a lot about music and harmony and all those kind of things, Um, singing out of the hymnal yeah. and being part of the – I was like the youngest. I was in the youth choir, and I was also in the adult choir as a youth <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I really – um you know, I really wanted to stay connected to the church after I moved away, you know, because it's so it's such an important part of my background and of my musical background. And so um, when I moved to college, I um, kind of became part of a worship team at um, a Baptist church in Murfreesboro and was, you know, just uh, really involved there for six years and, you know, grew in my faith a lot, talked about a lot of things that we didn't talk about and learn about, at, the, at our tiny town, um, Southern Baptist Church, and really grew in my faith and had a lot of life experience and um, just continued to stay connected to the church. And, um, you know, I'm also a, a big supporter of nonprofits and I've done a lot of mission work. And so, you know, I really started to dig in deeper with that. Yeah, so when I started writing songs, when I, when I sat down in 2006, you know, I really didn't play guitar very much i was just i really hadn't played i just had always been a singer and so i loved i started just listening and um trying to educate myself on you know the songwriting of people that i loved which was patty griffin and mac mcanally these storytellers and so you know their songs are about their life and they're growing up and where they're from and all those kind of things and so i started writing these songs that weren't necessarily you know Christian or church driven. They were more about my life and things I had been able to really draw from to, uh, to write songs about. And so, you know, still staying connected to the church. I was still, I actually still do a lot of worship leading and I love, I love worship music. I love, um, being part of a congregation and in song and everybody joining in and all that stuff. And so I'm still very connected to it. It's just that the music that I write about, um, you know that I write to perform and that I write about my life and things um, are secular and I mean some of them are definitely inspirational if you you know if you listen to a lot of the lyrics but for the most part they um, they kinda keep the door open
1: you know I talked to Don Portress a few months ago when we chatted on this subject because he's been working in the business for for a while let's say and um, he talked about how there, there used to be a kind of a divide between people who wrote secular versus people who wrote Christian and there's kind of a, a never the twain shall meet
3: yeah. perspective
1: and that, that 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 barrier isn't necessarily there anymore right but the other and I'm trying to remember who I was speaking to and I guess it doesn't isn't that important but a conversation I had with an artist where a musician where he remarked that it seems interesting that it only appears that in music that as um, a musician, if you are a Christian artist that then moves into the secular realm, you're almost ostracized. I'm thinking back to like Amy Grant. That's a long time ago, 20 years ago <laughs> when that happened. But yeah. um, d- does that is that something from your perspective that still occurs where there seems to be a dividing line in terms of you're, if you're a Christian, you need to do Christian music versus secular? Or am I making something up? Uh,
3: no, I mean, I think it's it's a real thing. I think today more and more it's, you know, it's not quite as divided. I think in the business world it's very divided, which makes it hard for, I'll, I'll put it this way, just like very Nashville, like Music Row is its own thing and it's in its own area, you know, it's in it's near downtown Nashville, and then the Christian industry is like south of town in Brentwood and Franklin, yeah. and they don't, sometimes they they cross lines, but it's it's pretty rare. Um, and there are a lot of songwriters that write all kinds of music. That write, they're like Don, you know, they write country and, and Christian, and um, you know, rap or R and B or whatever. And um, they don't feel limited in those ways. But I think for the, I think for the business side of it, it, it is very divided, which can make it kind of hard, you know, for you know when you're choosing people to work with. You know, for me, if I'm choosing someone to work with, I most likely won't choose someone who's who's been a manager for, say, Point of Grace their whole life, you know, because they're fully um, engaged with that market, you know, and so, and so, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure it still exists and I, and I know it does, but maybe less than the past.
1: I think it's interesting to understand that it's oftentimes I think about Christian songwriters or, and it's hard for me to imagine them working in a secular environment, but that's just my naivete as I think about that. I know Michael writes He'll write just about anything, uh, and that's, oh, that's the way yeah, it works.
3: My best country country songs with him, and, you know, he's from the backwoods of Texas, so he's got plenty of things to draw from, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's he's one of my favorite people to hang out with. It's been too long, so I'll have, yeah. to, have to figure that out. <laughs> one thing I need to throw out there just for the sake of of your honesty with the folks who are listening is that I was introduced to you through Krista Wells. One of the things that she said about you was that she learned everything that she knows about being an independent artist from you. I was going to ask what that really means, but as much as anything, when we were introduced it was because you were getting ready to do um, a tour on the West Coast where you starting in California and moving all the way up to Alaska. Yeah. And um, I, you've, I imagine you've got a pretty good following. In your neck of the woods in, in Nashville and, and thereabouts, but not necessarily up in the northwest where I am. Um, right. So I wondered if you'd share a little bit of the glamour associated, associated with being a uh, an independent artist and touring in an area that you've never been before. And I don't expect you to share specifics, especially <laughs> when you slept in my son's bedroom, <laughs> but just a little bit about what um, why you tour the way you do and why you want to kind of venture out. What, what's that look like?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, my only connection to fans in your in, in the Northwest is Noise Trade and otherwise unless someone has found my music online or through a TV show or you know, somehow heard of it, like it would be it would be surprising if anyone else would have heard of my music there. Um So, yeah, it is very challenging to enter into a new area, but I think it's necessary, and I think it's really fun. Um, You know, when we first thought about touring to the Northwest, you know, I was like, hey, there's some beautiful places to see. There are definitely, um, you know, I know there are music lovers in that part of the world, and so I kind of started there. I um, started connecting with house concert hosts, and there are actually a lot in California and Oregon and Washington. And so I, I started with um, connecting with, with hosts of house concerts. And so, you know, as far as um, breaking new ground with a new audience, that's what I've found to be one of the best ways to do that, is to connect with a house concert host who has a crew of people that come to their house and value their choice of music and, um, and you know, and, and enjoy the people that they bring into their home to perform, and so that takes a little bit of the weight off, um, you know, trying to get the word out and bring, you know, bring people out to a venue that has you know, never heard of you before, um, so I kind of started there, and, you know, I had a really, um, I was pretty successful at lining up the house concerts, and and all that kind of stuff. And then we kind of filled um, the spaces with venues and those are always challenging. Those are always more challenging in my opinion, especially when you're breaking ground in a new area. Um, Venues can be very, very hard to get people out to, especially if they've never heard of your music. So yeah, so um, part of the details of touring in a new area, you know, we, um, we stay, we usually stay with the people that host us. And if not, we try to find, find friends or friends of friends to stay with and you can imagine the variety of places that we stay um, from you know very nice and luxurious to um couch or carpet or or air mattress or whatever Air
1: mattress who would do that to you
3: whatever the scenario (laughs) might be um, and so we have to, we have to like, keep our attitude in a flexible manner for, for those tours. It would be a lot easier to stay at home and where it's safe and easy, but um, you know, I feel like part of the journey is getting out there and exposing your, my music to more people, and I love meeting people, and, um, and I especially love it when people come and tell me about how one of my songs connect with them, That's always a blast to get to experience. So, um, so yeah, it's tough, but it's so fun, and kind of keep an open mind. You, I think, you know, you enjoy it a little bit more.
1: I, I know that uh, the folks uh, at the concert that uh, that you played, that uh, I, I somewhat helped organize there, yeah, really appreciated what you did, and they couldn't stop talking about it after the fact. It was one of those. <laughs> wow! If I, I I known they were gonna be that good, I would have told more people. Uh, <laughs> Which kind of goes to your point about the house concerts. If you've got a a house concert hosted, and I love the word "crew," that has a crew of people who appreciates that person's music and uh, musical taste, then you get an audience that's going to be there.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, so, as you are, if you are out there as a listener and you're thinking about doing house concerts and stuff, that's how you value is not necessarily by the air mattress. That uh, <laughs> by, by the group of people that you kind of cultivate and appreciate your music, and there's more than an artist who's kind of venturing into your
2: area.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of the rooms that we play are very intimate and they're listening rooms, and that's, especially the you when know, I was just playing with an acoustic guitar, that's definitely a preferred preferred audience anyway. You can play for bigger rooms, but usually a lower percentage are actually listening, so there's... You know, there's there's pros and cons for sure. We can make a
1: A bunch of your time so just a, a couple of uh, quick things i want to ask about you mentioned a couple of artists that you enjoyed listening to i know patty griffin was one of them but what are you listening to these days anything else in terms of books or tv or anything else that's uh, really caught your eye of late
3: i'm actually uh, i'm a, a newer fan of the band dolls d-a-w-e-s they're amazing the the lead singer um who also plays lead guitar writes the majority of their songs And um, I've been incredibly inspired by them. Um, You know, and some of my, uh, Patty Griffin has a new album out. Um, I follow a lot of the songwriters around here, around Nashville. Um, I'm also a big fan of Nickel Creek, who's coming out with a new album soon. And um, um, let's see, as far as books go, you know, I've actually been reading some poetry lately. Um, I just kind of my husband has a lot of books, so I just kind of grab things and read, read them. But, um, but yeah, I've been I've been reading some poetry. We watch a lot of movies. I'm not really a TV person, um, I just don't have time for it with all the other plates I'm spinning in my life. Yeah. So I don't really watch a lot of TV these days, but, um, I'm trying to think of other music. I'm a big Grace Potter fan. Um, yeah. I love what she does. Connor Oberst is another artist that I really like. Those are some things you can maybe check out
1: sure and uh generally, we try to provide links to folks as they're listening so they can uh oh cool. We can link over to Dawes music so folks if uh who are it, who are intrigued can uh yes can check that out what and what's next on your agenda? I know the album came out. In April of 2013, I, I think the last time we talked, you mentioned you're getting ready to head down to Key West.
3: Yes, well, I have actually started another album. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, I'm actually I'm I'm using two producers this time on my album. So I've started with my friend Aaron. Aaron Espy will pro- be producing four songs on the album, and then yeah, so I'm, um, my husband and I are actually taking a trip to Europe where I'm playing some shows, and we're gonna. See see the sights and go to Paris and Switzerland and and Italy, um, and then after that I've got a couple festivals including um, the Key West Songwriters Festival, which is going to be a blast. And then um, yeah, when I get back from all that in May, um, I'll be hitting it hard with case and Cooley, who will be producing the other six or seven songs on my on my next album. So I'm still writing and I'm you know doing a lot of rewriting and tweaking and and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's an exciting time you know it's always um it's always exciting to to have a lot of songs in front of you that you need to dwindle down into a smaller list that's always challenging but um but it's really fun so what's the uh,
1: time frame you expect to that to come out fall winter
3: fall that it'll probably be a fall release
1: okay so uh, you'll come back and chat with us about that when it comes out
3: yes i'd love to
1: cool (laughs) um And, uh, yeah, I expect that uh, I will receive an advance copy. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
3: we <Yeah. it> will. <laughs> Whatever.
1: All right, we're back, Dan. As you can tell, we covered a lot of bases. What I really hoped to get from Jessica was an understanding of what is it like to make a living as an independent artist in Nashville? What does that look like? A lot of people have this romantic idea of what it's like. You know, when it comes right down to it, her story is pretty positive. She only been there a couple of years before she was able to make a living as a songwriter. And Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't happen. A lot of people go there and things fall apart and they move back home discouraged. So I don't know what resonated with you.
0: When Jessica and Sarah Beth go, they came there, not a lot of expectation about what they were going to come against as far as a show, right? I guess that's the thing about being indie artists is you just kind of go, you know, you could end up in a coffee shop or you could, you know, you you have to be able to be adaptable. Um, you don't really get that if you're a, if you're an A level artist, quote unquote. You know what you're walking into. You have a crowd size, you have an idea of ticket sales. You go through all of that. But as an indie artist, it's okay, I'm here. Who else is here? Okay, let's play some songs and I'm really glad that you came, but it could be five people.
1: Yeah, and then and you get up and do it no matter what. I think it's not just you stumble into stardom and things are wonderful. I actually listened to an interview with Sarah Beth Go on another podcast where she just talked about the toughest, the the biggest gap between her and success is discipline and all the hard work that goes into it. It's when you're an indie artist, you don't have all the support that you have when you're on a label. You're doing Mm -hmm. it all yourself or you're paying somebody to do it for you, but that's out of your pocket. Yeah. And and that's one of the big differences between a professional indie and a non-professional is you're paying song pluggers to get out there so your songs you know can get noticed, mm-hmm. wanting to get on Grey's Anatomy or Nashville.
0: Well, and even getting the right companies because there's companies out there that say they do that, but they don't actually. They just take your money. There's no guarantee.
1: You don't know the difference. Uh, if you're if you're kind of a green artist, you may not know. You yeah. know, I just know that it didn't get picked up by anybody. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard road, but you know, there's a lot of talented people out there who are are working it, and God bless them.
0: Yeah, because they don't have the luxury of an agent per se. Right. Yeah, because I mean, my my wife and my one of our favorite shows is Frasier, and a lot of episodes were dedicated to him trying to get a better deal with his with his uh, corrupt agent. And it's all about egos and, and what you can get. And unfortunately the music business can be a lot like that where bad music can get promoted and plugged because they've got backers. Yeah. I, I see that especially in Christian radio where it's who you know, it's, it's how to formulate a song. So it's three minutes and 15 seconds chorus comes in the first 30, you know, like you can, you can basically sell your music by just conforming to a, a platform
1: yeah actually there's a a post that we referred to just today actually by Seth Godin that uh, if you get a chance to look it up, just talking about why uh top forty radio doesn't work and for that th- those very reasons that mm-hmm. um, that popular does not equate to good
0: yeah yeah there there are some incredibly um popular according to radio songs that are out there, and every time my, my family hears the songs. Uh, we cringe mm-hmm. because it's not good music. The lyrics, like there's one that let's get your worship on or something like that. Again, like there's, there's lines in songs where you go,
2: huh?
0: And, and of course, if you listen to Christian music, you probably know who I'm talking about. Um, I won't name the name, but <clears throat> let's get your worship on is a, is a line that happens a lot in the song. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I just wouldn't say that.
1: Can I say that so. I'm thankful that I have no idea what that song is.
0: I'll tell you after we record. Oh.
1: No, no, you don't have to, because I don't want to look it up. It's like when somebody, when, when Travis Thrasher, and I should choke him for this, convinced me that I should listen to What Does the Fox Say? I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> I, I refuse to. Don't, don't. Man. I've heard about it. It's like life changing and not in a good way. Yes. Oh, life altering. Yes, it's in my head now. Just from saying it, it's there. I hate you, Travis Thrasher. I hate you.
0: I would rather. (laughs) I'd rather watch Buddy the Elf all day than that.
1: I wouldn't want him in my house, though. (laughs) No, no. All right, we need to wrap this up. So anyway. It's been another great episode, and appreciate you all hanging out. I'm glad Dan's back, because then I don't feel so sad and lonely. Sad and, lonely.
0: <laughs> and, and make sure to come to our site. Uh, we are revamping it slightly. It's getting a little bit quicker, a little bit easier to navigate. So go to Frequency.fm and join us there.
1: Looking forward to meeting you there, and you'll hear some more uh, information about how to connect with us in the show notes. And, and I don't know, should we tell them where we are? I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter.
0: If they're listening, they know.
1: You guys are the faithful and we appreciate you. Now, if like, I don't know, half dozen of you would go on iTunes and and leave a, and leave a nice review, that would be cool.
0: Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell the whole bunch.
1: You know what we'll do? Here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to commit to. The first three people who leave a review on iTunes, when we finally get around to ordering swag,
0: you'll get some.
1: I'll, I'll make sure you guys get a nice frequency handkerchief. (laughs) <laughs> an ascot. Yes. Frequency ascot. Yes. There
0: you go. You at least it. a hat. Yeah. At least a hat.
1: Seriously, that's my commitment to you. So from the time we post this, which should be tomorrow to, uh, the, when we get three, three new reviews, those three, three people, uh, will get, you just send me an email to info at frequency.fm. Once you've left your review, the first three, I'll make sure you get a hat once we get the swag ordered. Now, it could be from here to 2020, but you'll get a hat.
0: That'll be the next 12 months. We can't go that long. I know. We
1: need swag. All right. Let's get out of here, man. All right. Thanks, Joe. Now, have a good night, folks. We'll catch you uh, next episode. Frequency.fm is a podcast featuring Christian artists, authors, creatives, and experts. For more music reviews, book reviews, and articles, please visit us at Frequency.fm.